Imagine if you had the chance to peek through a door into heaven. Well, that's what the Apostle John gets to do here in our text in Revelation chapter 4 today. For the past three chapters, if you'd like to read more later, John was given letters from Jesus for seven churches that had been under John's care. And those letters from Jesus were full of guidance for the here and now. Encouragement about holding fast to the gospel through what are, and for a while yet still will be, difficult times. Each letter finishes with the promise that the one who conquers, or the one who stands firm in their faith, will be welcomed into glory in the end. In other words, our faith in Jesus will see us through our earthly trials and carry us safely to heaven. And so as we open this book up in chapter 4 today, we drop now in uh, on the heavenly side of all of that. John's lifted out of that vision about how the church must hold fast to the gospel through all the trials and tests of this life, And he now gets to see a new vision about the higher things of heaven. He's taken through an open door to peek in and see the glory of heaven. In chapter 4 and verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that's the voice of Jesus, if you want to backtrack that to chapter 1 later, Jesus said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Can you imagine what that would be like? To be able to sneak even the tiniest glimpse through that open door in heaven? Well, here's our chance by way of John's vision. And to wind up our series on on some of the basics of the Christian faith that we've been working through, we might just enjoy this afternoon a bit of co-dreaming with John in this vision. Shall we put on our our dream goggles for half an hour and just uh, experience this vision with him? See if we can do it. At once, verse 2, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. We might not be surprised, of course, to know that God is there in heaven as we peek through the door. God is there and and seated on a throne, ruling over everything. Revelation uses a lot of imagery and and dreamlike descriptions of things. I mean, after all, this is a vision John is receiving. And so it doesn't literally say there that God is on the throne, but nor does it need to, of course, because the vivid picture language of of precious gems just makes it obvious, doesn't it? And the word throne there, of course, uh, appears here in this vision more than anywhere else in Scripture, actually. And every time we read that word, throne, we're meant to think of God in sovereign control of all things. And so the point is actually pretty simple as the door opens. Even even though sometimes we feel as if the world is crushing us as we push on in this life, as this door swings open to heaven, John sees that all the while God is seated in power in total control. Anyway, the dream continues. Around the throne 
were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. God's throne is encircled by these other thrones. And it's hard to be sure, but perhaps these 24 other thrones represent God's people. Before and after Jesus came, for example, maybe, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament period and the 12 apostles of the church in the New Testament period, something like that, you know, as representative of of all of God's people. At any rate, whatever it is, our attention is actually taken straight back to God's throne at the center of it all. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Flashes of lightning and thunder pop up later in the book if you want to keep reading. And they're associated with the judgment of all things. There's no real surprise here for us as we see in verse 5 that, you know, these things come from the throne of God himself. God's judgment is coming. And we discussed that last week, didn't we? But we might be confused by the second part of that that bit there, you know, the, the seven spirits of God represented in John's vision by these seven burning torches. Seven spirits of God? It's strange, but it actually seems to pick up on a, a very similar vision that the Old Testament prophet Zechariah received in Zechariah chapter 3 and 4, if you want to follow it up later uh, tonight. Uh, there in Zechariah, these seven spirits are described as if they are God's eyes. God's eyes that are constantly going forth and searching out the world in regard to righteousness and sin. Anyway, the vision just keeps building here in Revelation chapter 4, in verse 6. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. The living creatures seem to represent the created order. I think one representing the beasts of the field, another representing the wild animals, another the birds of the air, and another humankind. And maybe we're even supposed to consider that these animals are the pinnacles of their various domains. Whatever they are, and however you you look at it and read it, the one thing again that is crystal clear is that they serve at God's throne. And they are wholly centered on him. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And their praise triggers praise from the 24 elders too, who are also consumed constantly with praising God. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 
the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So as exciting and and fascinating and mysterious as all the picture language has been all the way through this vision, the actual idea that we need to take hold of here is very, very simple. These wonderful creatures and seemingly the whole created order that they represent give glory to God and the elders and the people of God they seemingly represent, also give glory to God. So what is going on in in heaven? Even now as we speak, what is going on in heaven? Everything is focused on this. Glory and glory to God. Creation praises him because he is holy, 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 and eternally so, verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And God's people praise him because he is the creator. Nothing exists but for God's will. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created what we often think of when we picture heaven is all future tense and sometimes in that regard it's also quite selfishly private but the current reality right now if we could look through that door. And so too the end point of it all, of course, is that God is and always will be glorified in heaven. And so he should be. He is holy. He is eternal. He created all things. He rules over it all. How is it that we always manage to lose sight of all those things? When life in the here and now gets overwhelming, or when life is going really well for us, how do we so easily seem to squeeze God out of our picture? The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this as its first question. What is the chief end of man? And the answer it gives. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We know that these living creatures in Revelation 4 and these elders are right. God is and always must be glorified. 
And so too, we must know that this is our right response, both now and in the life to come, when we're going to be right there with them around that throne. This is the chief end that we are created for. Together with all the saints of the old and new covenants before and after Jesus came, that in the final wash-up, God should be glorified by all. And yet these things of God are equally true even now, aren't they? So this is our chief end even now, isn't it? We must concede all glory to God. And yet, of course, if we pop our head back through that doorway that has opened up for us and look back uh, down across the face of this earth and this life, we can see the discrepancy, can't we? Things on this earth, things in our life right now, are not in line with the things of heaven. God is not being glorified here and now as he should be. To get the most out of this opportunity to look through this door, we should really read ahead just one more chapter of this vision. So if you have your Bibles open, let's check what John sees next in chapter 5 and verse 1. Then I saw, in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, in heaven, or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is about to enter the picture. It was Jesus who opened the door of this vision for John so that he could peek through into the throne room of God and now Jesus is being called into that picture. Again, it doesn't literally say Jesus because this is a dream vision using picture language. But we can understand who it is. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Root of David. These are calls for Jesus to come and carry out God's will. The Lamb who was slain, as we keep reading in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a Lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Well, that's interesting. The seven spirits of God that we saw in chapter 4 are now described as eyes 
just as they were in that Old Testament vision by Zechariah that I mentioned. But more importantly, we now see that those seven spirits of God, or, or eyes, belong to the Lamb. Who else is this but Jesus, the Son, one with Father and Spirit? Of course he is worthy. And so he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Whatever else you're getting from this dream vision, be sure to get this much. The people in John's seven churches back then, all the way through to us sitting here today, can know this much for sure. If you have put your trust in Jesus, then you're in safe hands. He is worthy. And he alone is worthy. He can receive this scroll from God. He can see into the secret will of God. He will be the one who carries out God's judgment. And the very eyes of God that search out the world for this are his. So you're in safe hands. You're in the right hands in him. And so Jesus too is worthy of our praise. In fact, the very same glory that was given to God on the throne in chapter 4 is now given to Jesus in chapter 5 here. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then John's field of view widens out. A little bit more, and, and behold, that the whole of heaven glorifies Jesus in verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then wider and wider still. Just in case we're not quite sure what the living creatures and the elders and the angels represent, in the whole picture as it pans back out now, the whole creation glorifies Jesus and the one on the throne together as one. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honour, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, 
Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now we have a fuller picture of heaven through that door. Glory to Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. Let it be so. And they worshipped. By the end of chapter 5 there, we seem to have shifted somehow into future tense. And the pictures of the throne room just get more and more exciting if you do want to keep reading through John's visions in the rest of the book later. But let me give you the lowdown. We, of course, are swept up into that picture too, in, in clear and simple terms. The Lamb has purchased us by his blood, as we read there. The Lamb has made us a kingdom and priests to our God. Everyone who repents and trusts in Jesus will be gathered around that throne just the same. So chapter 7, for example, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then the living creatures and the elders worship again with us. And so there's really no other picture that this book should eventually put in, into our minds. And there is no better picture that we could put into our minds. But this picture, God's people and all of creation and all of the heavenly beings worshipping God and giving glory to him, to the one on the throne and to the Lamb. Glory to God. And so, of course God's people will be there in the end, saved and brought into this picture, because it glorifies Jesus that we are standing there at the end. And so, of course, we will glorify God and the Lamb as we're there because of this only way by which we can even be there in his presence. We were created by God and we were redeemed from our sin by the Lamb. And so glory and glory to God. And yet strangely common today is a kind of Christianese way of life that doesn't see the need for that blood for which Jesus is here glorified. A culture that holds to Christian values and virtues, Christian morality and example, but a culture that denies this point of glory for Jesus. But it is his blood that is fundamental in bringing God's people into this picture of glory. And so it is for his blood that he is praised. So know this, as the only way shown in this vision, you need to acknowledge your sin so that you can be redeemed from that sin by this blood of the Lamb. That is the only gospel. He 
is worthy. Not you. And so too common today are churches. Churches that refuse Jesus his part in the glory of God here. But there it is, as clear as day, in the word of God in Revelation 4 and 5. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. The church is Jesus' church, and so this picture will be our end point. Have no doubt about that. This is the will and the work of God who created us and redeemed us. So this is our certain place, and this is the true picture that we must come to see. We will be gathered around the throne of God and of the Lamb, giving glory to God, our sovereign holy creator, and glory to Jesus, our Saviour, praising God for creating us and redeeming us by his will and by his work. Have not a shadow of a doubt. This is what must take place. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is what must take place. God will be glorified. World without end. If you think back over this short series where we've we've dropped in on a bunch of different scriptures trying to get a fix on some of the fundamentals of this Christian gospel we proclaim, it's Actually, no surprise, really, that all glory is to be given to God for everything. I mean, we saw that it was purely by God's gracious gift that we even have this faith, this hope. And the repentance and the salvation that it all hinges on, it's all by God's grace to us. It's entirely by God's mercy that we can be forgiven through this blood of the Lamb and be declared righteous by our faith in Him alone. Only works because this is the blood of God incarnate that we can be atoned for like this. And therefore, this is a God who had to humble himself so much for us in this this unfathomable love that we can't even process, condescending from this throne of glory to take on our sin in his own incarnate form, just so that he could have our sin nailed to that cross. He who saved us. He who marked us out as his precious new creations. He who is now reshaping us, ready for the the whole new creation still to come. It is all God's doing. And so as we close this series, again we can say that this is the way, but this is more than the way. This here is the destination To God be the glory. And since we know the destination where this all ends, so too we now know the way. So if your faith is truly anchored in Christ, then take hold of this vision. And now glorify God in all that you do. And let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, as always, for this scripture open in front of us, that you have revealed these things to us. We thank you for this 
glorious and wondrous picture here that is too big for our minds. And yet here it is. Help us to see ourselves in this scene. Gathered around that throne. By the sure promise of our worthy Saviour, Jesus, help us to see ourselves there and help us to now glorify you in all that we do in the meantime. We come and we confess and we praise that you alone are worthy, our God and our Lamb, to receive all glory and honour and power and might and wealth and blessing and wisdom, it is all yours. It is all yours. Amen.